This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. No one wants to be audited by the IRS. For this reason, perhaps the most controversial feature of the newly passed Inflation Reduction Act is an $80 billion increase to the IRS's budget over the next 10 years. The law's advocates have assured concerned taxpayers that no one earning less than $400,000 per year will be affected, with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen making this direction in an open letter to IRS Commissioner Charles Reddick. Yet the law itself sets aside $45 billion in additional funding for enforcement, a 70% increase, to presumably target the 1.8% of American taxpayers who make more than $400,000 per year. Indeed, such a shift in focus toward auditing higher income filers comes in contrast to the IRS's historical record of auditing those with income below $25,000 a year at a rate five times higher than everyone else. Bolstered by the popular narrative that wealthier taxpayers do not pay their fair share of taxes, the IRS has set the public's expectation on finding an additional $200 billion in gross revenue from the ranks of higher earning Americans those with the accounting and legal expertise to properly file and defend the accuracy of their returns. Should Americans see this new funding as a much needed first step towards ensuring everyone, especially high earners, pays the taxes they owe? Or might the IRS use the 50% increase in funding to target far more numerous working class Americans on which it has historically focused? My guest today is Rachel Gressler, Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation, where she studies the federal budget. Ms. Gressler has written extensively on the need for a tax code that is easier for Americans to understand and harder for filers to cheat. She will share with us an overview of the IRS's budget and priorities, which filers have historically been targeted by its auditors, and assess the likelihood that the agency will find promised revenue from high-earning taxpayers, those making more than $400,000 a year, without needing to resort to auditing the other 98.2% of middle and lower income Americans. When I return, I'll be joined by Heritage Foundation Senior Research Fellow, Rachel Gressler. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Silvagi, and I'm now pleased to be joined by Heritage Foundation Senior Research Fellow, Rachel Gressler. Welcome to Hubwonk, Rachel. Thanks for having me, Joe. Great. Well, we're, we're going to be talking about um, uh, the provisions in the newly passed Inflation Reduction Act. Um, uh, but before we do, I'd like to uh, let our listeners know, uh, you've not been on Hubwonk before, a little bit about your background at Heritage. What do you what do you study when you do your research there? Well, I started out working on Social Security policy and a lot of retirement issues, but have kind of shifted over to doing a lot on labor policy recently. I've been following what's happening in the labor market. Um, Where are all the workers and why haven't they come back? But very broadly, I'm looking at kind of public finance and all the federal spending and where is that money going? Okay, so you're a budget expert. You you look at uh, what the government takes in and what what it spends uh, going out. Uh, we're going to focus on the coming in part today with the with the IRS conversation. But before we talk about how much money comes in, how much does the federal government spend every year? Well, if we're talking about this year, 2022, we are projected to spend 5.9 trillion dollars. Um, and I know that you kind of lose perspective. What's a billion, a trillion, a million? Well, what that breaks down to is about $45,500 for every household in the U.S. that the federal government is spending. And just a little perspective there. 
that is more than double the amount that the federal government was spending in 2000. Then it was about $17,000 per household. And even since just 2019, you know, two or three years ago, we're spending 32% more per household. So that's a lot of money. Uh, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. We can probably have a whole few po- podcasts on how much it spends, but let's, let's talk about how much it collects in taxes. So it, the, the, what goes out is 5.8 trillion uh, mm-hmm. in, in revenue. In 2022, we'll have about $4.8 trillion in revenue coming in. So again, household level, what's that mean? That's $37,500 per household. Um, and that's also you know, a big increase over recent years and definitely over a historical perspective. So it sort of challenges the narrative that nobody pays taxes anymore. We're still paying more, uh, but we're not keeping up with the outlays. Uh, Just again, for the um, benefit of our listeners, if I'm keeping score, uh, we spend 5.8, we take in 4.8. That's a trillion dollar shortfall. Where does that come from? So that's all deficit finance. We're just adding to our debt that is growing day by day. And that's a big gap. That's about $8,000 per household more that is being spent than is being taken in. So about 21%. If you've sat down at the kitchen table and done any budgeting, you know that you can't have a 21% deficit year after year for very long. And yet the U.S. is continuing to do this. Indeed. So we talked about uh, the the debt, um, but the deficit is a comp, um, accumulation well, the, the overall debt uh, is accumulation of all the deficits we've had yes. in the past. So what, if we add them all up going back to um, uh, the beginning, um, mm-hmm. how much does the federal government owe, uh, essentially, how much more has it spent than it's taken in? Yeah, so if we look at the Treasury's debt clock that you can see on their website, that says we have $30.7 trillion in debt. Um, that's about $238,000 per household. Now, a lot of that we actually owe to ourselves. We've kind of made promises through things like our entitlement programs. Um, the publicly held debt is a little different figure, and that's at about $23 trillion. Okay. All right. So we're going to uh, talk about um, the revenue needed. Uh, clearly, there's a shortfall. We're not taking in enough revenue. And presumably, this, this uh, money we're going to talk about um, funding for the IRS is to increase uh, compliance, making sure everyone pays their fair share of taxes, the taxes they owe. Um, at least in some small part, to address this um, towering deficit uh, that we have each year, right? So let's let's start on a very high level. Um, how much does um, the IRS estimate we should be paying versus how much do we do pay? How much does the IRS estimate isn't being paid by people, let's say, evading taxes? Yeah, and so they'll refer to that as like the tax gap. How much more should we be collecting, whether if it's purposeful evasion of taxes or just not understanding it? Um, We don't have any recent figures from a couple of years ago, but looking back at 2013, when they did put out a report, they estimated that the tax gap was about $381 billion. Um, That was about 14% of the revenues they were collecting at that time. So if you multiply that by current revenues right now, we're looking at potentially as much as $800 billion that they might say is the tax gap. So we'll talk, call that the addressable market to use an investment term, right? That's the addressable market for trying to um, enforce and encourage everyone to pay their, their, their fair share of taxes. So let's talk about this new um, Inflation Reduction Act and what money goes to the IRS. How much new funding is going to the IRS in this new, new law? $80 billion over 10 years. 
Okay. And do we know how that money is going to be dedicated? Is it uh, $80 billion worth of auditors or, or are they buying an, new cars for their uh, employees? <laughs> well, they're going to be doing a number of things. Um, the biggest part will be new auditors. 57% of that new funding will go towards enforcement. So that will be primarily be auditors. About 32% is going to go for operations um, that could also be included in that enforcement. It's not clear. 6% for upgraded systems, you know, modernizing the computers, and 4% for taxpayer services. And just in total here, this is about a 70% increase um, in the enforcement funding for the IRS. So the lion's share of this $80 billion, and again, that's spent over 10 years, but $80 billion uh, will be for enforcement. That is to say, cracking down on people who are not paying their fair share. How many auditors are there now and how many are estimated to be? You know, I've heard a lot of people that saying, oh, don't, don't worry about these additional auditors. It's just replacing those who are, are retiring. So is there any valid, validity to that? Are we getting more auditors or just younger ones? Absolutely more auditors. Um, I think that there are about eleven to 12,000 tax auditors right now out of a total of 80,000 IRS employees. Um, so it's not the lion's share of the current IRS employees. But out of the new funding that's coming in, it is going to be the majority of that will be going towards these enforcement, the auditors. Um, the IRS projects that they would have about 87,000 new IRS agents. They don't give us a breakdown on you know, how many of those agents are going to be enforcement versus other things. But just multiplying the 57% of the bill that's going towards enforcement, that suggests that you'll have at least 50,000 more auditors. Okay. All right. Um, so again, this is an even tougher um, uh, number to tease out, and I know it, it's highly uh, stratified, but what's the audit rate now for an average American? Uh, you, you, uh, we could probably tease it out by low income, middle and high, but give us some broad uh, numbers on how, how many people are audited now. Yeah, broadly, it's less than 2%. You know, it's less than 4%, 0.4% for lower income individuals, um, and it's up to about 4% for higher income individuals, but under 2% total. So uh, with a relatively low audit rate, uh, if we increase that or double that, or, you know, whatever we do, so increase it by 70%, presumably we're going to uh, find uh, undiscovered revenue. Is that right? Yes. The IRS projects they have estimates of how much new revenue will come in per each audit based on the income level that is um, given there. And so significant amounts of new money they estimate will come in across all income levels if they do these new audits. Okay. Now, uh, our listeners and many people who heard about this new funding were sort of uh, uh, not particularly excited about the prospect of more being more likely to be audited, but I think to assuage the average uh, voters' concerns, um, uh, the sellers of this new uh, law have assured Americans that those uh, that this new enforcement will be only applied to those making $400,000 a year. And I really want to focus in on this promise because um, very few people, I think, would support it if we knew everyone was twice as likely to be audited. But if we limit those to $400,000 a year or more, um, let's let's uh, drill down on that. Um, first of all, how much did the, does this, uh, did the um, new funding promise to generate? I, I think I heard a number like $200 billion. Is, is that what you had heard? That, that's the goal? Yep. Just over $200 billion. And I think on net about $125 billion when you account for the new costs. So we're just going to um, uh, stipulate the, the um, uh, the sellers of this new law believe what they say. So two, $200 billion are going to be taken yep. from those uh, or discovered from those making more than $400,000 a year. Um, what percentage of, of filers um, in, in the U.S. make more than $400,000 a year? 
very few. It's only 2%. Okay. Yeah. I, I read something of 1.8%. It's, it's, it's a smaller number. Yeah. Less than um, two. yeah. Um, now, uh, there's a difference between someone who makes more than $400,000 and someone who makes $40,000 uh, in that I would imagine as, as income goes up, so does your likelihood of having a sophisticated uh, tax preparer and a tax attorney to advise you on how to fill out your return. Not too many yeah. uh, million dollar a year people are using TurboTax online. They're, they're probably getting a little better uh, counsel. Uh, is there any sense of um, uh, a relationship between um, income and, let's say, compliance? I don't know how to delicately say that. Do, do wealthier people um, somehow uh, try to cheat on taxes or, or just uh, try more, more sophisticated ways of mm -hmm. avoiding taxes? Yeah, and it is difficult to break out what is, you know, trying to cheat versus being subject to a more difficult tax code. But we do know that the IRS reports out what percentage of the returns that they audit end up having the individual not owe any more money, saying, hey, they did it right the first time, they owe nothing. Um, and actually, the wealthier taxpayers are more likely to have paid it right the first time. And that's because they have the money to hire the lawyers and the accountants to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to. Um, a higher percentage of the lower income earners tend to have paid the wrong amount and to owe something. So I, I won't say entirely dispels the myth that the wealthy you know, cheat on their taxes, but empirically, it seems that they're more accurate in their returns than, say, lower income people. And perhaps the lower income people make mm -hmm. mistakes uh, because, again, they don't have the the advice uh, and the professionals, not because they're less honest. It's just, they just make mistakes, yeah. right? Okay. Now let's take it back a notch. We, we have an IRS investing new agent, investing in new agents and systems, you know, with um, the goal of recovering money, $200 billion, we said, uh, and they've historically uh, invested that, those resources across a broad range of incomes. Um, now, Given that it's 1.8 or 2% of, of earners, and you've already asserted that those people's uh, returns are more likely to be accurate than the average returns, is it realistic to think this $80 billion investment in, in enforcement, when applied to only 1.8% of income filers, is going to be successful in generating the revenue that's promised? And my follow-on question, if you could anticipate it, is when it doesn't, if it doesn't, what will happen next? So let's start with, uh -huh. you know, you study this all the time. Given such a narrow segment of the population ha having $80 billion uh, cannon, you know, aimed at its chest, um, mm -hmm. what is the likelihood that they're going to find what they're looking for? Yeah, it seems very difficult um, for the math to add up here. And you can look at all the statistics that are available, how many taxpayers are here, what are their tax bills, what does the IRS estimate they'll get from each new audit. Um, you know, and so I did play around with the math there, and it just seems nearly impossible to generate all those new revenues or to even utilize all the new agents if you're going to limit it to those that are making under 400,000. Um, you know, some of the scenarios I played there was, well, what if we even go back to the 2010 audit rates? And um, those were much significantly higher. They've said, you know, that they're not going to go back necessarily more than a few years. But what if we went back to 2010 and everybody that was making over $400,000 um, we're going to impose those audit rates. That's only going to generate 28% of the new revenue that they have estimated will come there. And so how much higher would those audit rates need to go? Well, I got to a 30-fold increase, multiplying the current rates by 30, um, you know, for people making over $400,000. And that would mean 100% audit rate on taxpayers with income over $10 million. 
And that would still be 20% short of the estimated new revenues that you're looking at. Um, and then looking another way is I considered like how many hours does the IRS say that each agent needs to spend per tax return? Um, and even auditing every single taxpayer that had income over a million dollars would only require about 25,000 new IRS agents. Um, but here we know that a total of you know, 87,000 will be hired and probably about 50,000 of them will be for enforcement. So it just doesn't seem to add up that you could logically limit it to people making over $400,000. And in the end, I don't think that's their intent either, because you think of like the low hanging fruit on a tree, a lot of that is the lower income taxpayers. And even an IRS, you know, government accountability office report from them said that they, the majority of the additional taxes that the IRS recommends to come from audits is from taxpayers with income below $200,000. So if that's their own recommendation is that more than 50% of the new revenues we want to gain are people below $200,000, it seems illogical that they're really going to limit it to those making over $400,000. So if I'm the head of the IRS and I have promised uh, the, uh, I guess, uh, Secretary Yellen, that we're going to find $200 billion from American taxpayers. Uh, I've got two paths, or at least two paths I can go. I can go down this path where I target the 1.8% making $400,000, who arguably have more compliance and less um, uh, lower income people, and more sophisticated attorneys and uh, accountants. And perhaps uh, I would need more sophisticated uh, auditors to uh, to untangle their returns and, and then fight them in court to... Uh, mm -hmm. to um, to retrieve that revenue. That's door number one, uh, very expensive and perhaps less revenue there. Door number two is people below 400,000. Indeed, you said people below 200,000 where far more mistakes are happening. Those people are far more numerous. It's 98.2% of the country, right? That's a lot of people. Uh, and you're going to find the money there. Uh, ultimately, the IRS is gonna be accountable for the money they either take in or don't take in. Is it your argument that it's far more likely the IRS will, uh, let's say, um, not keep its promise to look only at people above 400,000 and revert to its natural target of, of good old middle America, hardworking, uh, uh, middle class person? Yes, I think if they're going to be held to actually bringing in this new revenue and actually having the agents that they hired do the jobs that they were hired for, then they're going to have to start increasing audits on individuals making under $400,000. Their own reports show that that's where the bang for the buck is. I mean, you can see individuals making under $25,000 a year, an audit takes one to two hours, and it generates an additional $5,000 in revenue. I mean, if you want to increase the revenues that aren't being paid that the tax system says are owed, that is where the majority of the money is. And I think that they're going to have to start going after that unless they just throw their hands up and say, we have all this new money, we have all these new agents, and we're not doing anything productive with them. Does your research uh, account for how much time is spent by Americans filling out their tax returns? And I, I ask this for this reason. One is, if we know... Um, uh, auditing and, and enforcement is doubled, or actually the funding is increased by 70%, uh, I, I assume a secondary effect will be more Americans will spend more time with their taxes, right? They'll they'll make sure they dotted their I's and crossed their T's. How much time do, do Americans spend doing taxes? And have you done any work on how, estimating the value of that time? Mm -hmm. I have not done that. I've seen some great estimates out there um, that liken it to 
you know, how many hours of your work day. And I think it's, you know, up to 10% of a productive work year can be spent filling out these taxes. And we can expect that everybody across the board is going to need to make sure now that they are doing everything. They're saving all these receipts. Um, they're keeping track of it. They're filing if they need to, if they're self-employed or if they work independently, even in like a gig type job that they're filling out with the appropriate tax agencies. Um, and so it's gonna be a lot more hours spent with the compliance, but then it also gets to the fact that you don't continue to have the tax revenues grow over time because once you get to a certain audit rate, people just do what they need to to make sure that they're paying what they're supposed to. And then those additional audits are actually not generating any new revenue because everybody just knows my likelihood of being audited is high. I've got to make sure it's right the first time. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, you've written, I love what you've written about uh, the tax code. I, I, I'm going to paraphrase you. I think you want to make it uh, easier to file and harder to cheat. Is that a fair characterization of your work? Yes, absolutely. You know, the mere fact that so much additional revenue can be brought in by individuals making less than $200,000 a year, and especially those making less than $25,000 a year, that every one of them is, you know, $5,000 in new revenue can come from auditing them. That says that our tax code is far too complex, um, even at across all levels, but corporations are filing 6,000 pages of tax returns. I mean, that should never be the case. We need a far simpler system so that it is easy to know how much you owe, to pay what you owe, and then it's more difficult to cheat. And so we've got to get to a cleaner slate, you know, have a broad-based tax that doesn't have all these carve-outs and loopholes and, oh, if you do this, we'll give you a tax break and this and that, but just lower rates, broader base, so that everybody knows I'm going to pay this flat rate or whatever it is you know, on the income I earned and that it could be filed in a simple postcard that you would never need to worry about an audit coming after you. It seems interesting that, uh, again, looking at the entirety of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, along with uh, better enforcement of the um, uh, tax code by the IRS, there's all these carve-outs, um, uh, tax benefits for those people who invest in clean energy, these sort of things, uh, manufacturing chips and these kind of things. Um, yeah. And it seems to be ironic that the people who are ensured that the, the rich don't pay their taxes are the ones who are applauding the fact that the rich are being given uh, tax benefits before they're green. It just, it would seem to me like uh, I can, if we go uh, forward in a time machine, we can imagine someone building a green company, paying no taxes because of this bill a year from now, the same people who said, you know, corporations aren't paying their fair share saying yeah. that green company isn't paying any taxes this year. Do, do you see an ironic uh, uh, contrast there? Absolutely. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head here is that we somehow demonize higher income people and at the same time are creating systems to do loopholes for them. You know, the average American can't afford to buy an electric vehicle. And yet we're creating tax credits for those who are wealthy enough to be able to afford them. And on one week, Congress passes this chips bill that's going to send tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars to corporations that tend to be wealthy corporations. And then a couple of weeks later, they pass a bill that's gonna increase taxes on some of those exact same companies that they're giving the handouts to. And it just gets into why are we trying to micromanage the economy here um, into the tune of benefiting, in most cases, the wealthy people that you're on the other hand, trying to go after and crack down on. So uh, I'd like to sort of get, we're getting close to the end of our time together, but I'd like to sort of frame a question, sort of the king for a day kind of, uh, or queen for, for a lifetime. Uh, if you were in charge of the tax code, I think you've already sort of uh, shown your cards, you'd like it to be 
far more simple. Um, what would you do? Um, what would you have done in in this particular bill to have perhaps encourage compliance? That no nobody here uh, is in, wants uh, people to cheat on their taxes. Encourage compliance, uh, but do it in a way that isn't nearly as painful as increasing enforcement by seventy percent over the next ten years. What would you do? Well, I don't know that it could have been done in a bill like this, but I would do a complete overhaul of the tax system. I would get down to one low rate, um, a certain exemption so that lower income people aren't paying any taxes up to a certain point, but that flat one low rate, get rid of all of the deductions and the loopholes and everything else that is out there and make it simpler to pay what you owe more difficult to cheat. Um, when you have that one rate and it's very clear how much income is coming in, it's more difficult to cheat. Um, and that really would free things up for the economy to grow more because we're not taking money from productive resources and putting them to unproductive ones. Um, and it ends up having higher incomes for everybody. And just the simplicity of it and all those lost hours that are spent right now complying with the tax code um, and also getting at only taxing income once. You should pay taxes on your earnings one time when you earn them and not ever have to worry about paying them again and paying them at a different rate. Um, so more simplicity is the biggest thing that we need. Indeed, I think you know those of us who do like um, a, a simpler tax code or even a, a flatter tax code um, uh, are often characterized as being uh, un unsympathetic to uh, lower income people. But as you pointed out, it's the lower income people who are making honest mistakes on their returns and ultimately getting swept up in these um, audits uh, mm -hmm. so that simpler tactic, I like to say complexity is a uh, subsidy for, for the wealthy, right? The, the crazier the tax code becomes, the more the wealthy can can do it right. And the, the more perplexed lower income people are and more likely they are to be caught by an audit, uh, which can you know really disrupt their lives. Uh, do you see it the same way? Yes, absolutely. And that's what all the evidence shows is that we are disproportionately hurting the lower income people that just want to go on with their lives, work a job, earn an income, take care of their families and not have to worry about am I doing everything right? And we're getting to the point with some of the new rules that have been put in place that we have to worry about even the payments we might make to a friend for rent. Is that going to show up in a Venmo transaction that then the IRS is going to trigger an audit on me? And if I didn't save my receipt, from going to the doctor the other day or paying for a prescription, if they're gonna say that I owed more money, you know, oftentimes it looks like you owe more, but it might just have been a mistake or you can't prove you don't have that receipt or something available um, to prove that you paid what you owed. And I just wanted to add too that, you know, kind of the irony here is that the federal government is cracking down on individuals who aren't paying the government the amount that they say that they are owed, but then the government's taking that money most of what the government does is simply tax and transfer that money to somebody else. Two out of every $3 that is collected in taxes is simply taking money and transferring it somewhere else. And in the process, they're doing a really poor job at that. You know, they say the tax gap, well, there's a huge payment gap too. Just last year, the federal government spent $281 billion making payments in the wrong amount to the wrong people. And so if they're going to crack down on everyone else and say, you've got to pay us the right amount, then they should move forward and they should be paying the right amount, at least according to their own laws. Indeed. And I think that's a great point. As long as we're piling on, uh, I just will, will say it is odd to me that, it, you know, in a case of an audit, unlike, let's say, in a case of criminal law where you're presumed to be innocent. In, a, in other words, the, the, the government has a burden of proof. They said you did this thing, this wrong thing, uh, and we need to prove beyond a uh, um, an element of doubt, uh, 
in an audit, it's presumed you've you've cheated on your taxes and you have to prove mm-hmm. you did. Uh, it just seems like uh, I mean, I know we need uh, tax enforcement, but it just seems uh, an odd uh, relationship with the government when you walk in there and you have to say, yeah, uh, I paid every cent I owed. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. And I like that because you think of the taxpayers having to come in with their briefcase of all their paperwork and the auditors just sitting there empty handed. Hey, prove to me that you did what you should have when it should be the other way around saying like, hey, it looks like you did something wrong. Right. Can you prove that you didn't? No, it's, you know, there's no presumption, you know, but it'd be, we would all object if the IRS audited every 10th house on the block. Um, but we, we don't seem to scrutinize uh, its methodology uh, when it's even more mm-hmm. opaque uh, than, than something like that. So um, anyway, we've, we've, uh, we've gone, uh, we've gone off on a, a tangent here. I, I'm really uh, um, uh, thrilled that you joined us today on Hubwonk. You're a fund of information. I hope you keep your eye on, on the IRS and see if indeed, uh, as we predict, uh, or if they're sticking to their $400,000 and above promise, or as we predict, uh, they start to wander into the ranks of uh, us mere mortals who are, as you say, just trying to get by and, and, and make a living. Yeah, it was my pleasure to be with you, Joe. Thank you, Rachel. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute. If you enjoyed today's episode, there are several ways to support the show. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your iTunes podcatcher. It would make it easier for others to find Hubwonk if you offer a five-star rating or a favorable review. We're always grateful if you want to share Hubwonk with friends. If you have ideas or suggestions or comments for me about future episodes, you're welcome to email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk.